I'm Pastor JP. Welcome. We are so glad you are checking us out online. We hope the word you're about to hear is an encouraging point in your life today. So we're praying for you. We love you. Stay tuned. John chapter 11. Turn or click. Yes, I have to blow it up. But there's just something about reading it off, reading it off the page. Call me old school. John chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. This is interesting because she hadn't actually done this yet. That would come in the chapter that's next. But there's a reason why he's mentioning it now. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Let's skip ahead to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not died But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who have come along with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But then some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, and I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Good thing he called him by name had he just said, come out. <laughs> there would have been some com confusion. And then the dead man came out and his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Put your hand there on your Bible or on your heart. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we pray now, again, at the reading of your word, because it is more powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, and it can do more in the next few moments in the life of every listener than I can in a thousand sermons. So would you speak now to every hungry heart, open eyes, open ears, and let us hear and let us see what you're saying today. And that if you cannot use me, then push me aside and speak. We ask it now in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen. You know, during the Victorian era, there's a story of the Countess Emma married to a wealthy Earl of the Mount of Edgecombe in 1761. And she was pronounced dead and was buried. And as they buried her, they did so with some very valuable jewelry especially a particular ring. Nearby was a, a, a commoner, a sexton, that, that, has, that has spied on the funeral procession and, ha, uh, procession and has seen what has gone down and sees the ring and the jewelry and has decided that he is going to come back under the cover of night and rob the grave. Except when he does so to retrieve the jewelry, jewelry and the ring, he went to snatch it and Emma woke up. So the countess is now confused and dazed, but that is nothing compared to that thief. 
who completely shocked and frightened out of his own skin just ran away in the night. They never even found out who he was. She made her way half-mile journey back to the estate. They tried to find him because in a way, he saved her life. Needless to say, it's an understatement to say they were all shocked when she walked into the estate. And even to this day, there's a walkway commemorating Emma's journey called the Countess Path. So it was situations like these that happened a lot in the 1700s that gave rise to the use of safety coffins where they added comfortable cotton padding and they installed feeding tubes and they, they put in intricate uh, systems of cordings and cords and strings attached to bells and they even started putting in uh, escape hatches. But unfortunately, they didn't put in methods providing an, enough oxygen. And so despite the very popular use of these safety coffins, still to date, there's no record that one actually saved anybody's life. But most experts believe that this is where we get the idiom, the saying, saved by the bell. It's from these safety coffins. The Bethany sisters sent word, ringing the bell. They didn't even really state a request. They didn't have to. They just rang the bell. Just tell Jesus, he who you, he who you love is deathly sick. He'll know what to do. And that's that kind of message where you don't even really have to tell the person what you expect. That's, that, is, that is no casual acquaintance. And that's the reason why John throws in, this is the saying, Mary, who would, who would find it appropriate in a room full of men and strangers to march right in and anoint Jesus' feet with perfume and with her hair. And so he comes in. To this situation and gets this message. It's kind of like getting a text message. Hey, the one you love is really sick. And so Jesus then, in this very close inner circle of friends, these are people he has a deep personal relationship with. The, the need is dire. And so Jesus texts back, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And that's the text message back. And see, this is where Jesus is supposed to saddle up, saddle up 
and ride in for the rescue. But then it says he stays where he's at for a couple more days. And so now as he approaches Bethany, he finds that they had already put Lazarus in the tomb. Four days earlier, they had already done this. Jewish superstition of, of Jesus' day was that a soul stays near someone who has died, stays near the grave or the, the resting place for about three days, hoping to return to the body. And so it was generally accepted that after four days, there was absolutely no hope of resuscitation. There's no reason to keep listening for the bells. Because see, sometimes way back then, it's not like now, way back then, see, sometimes you had to wait back then just to make sure someone was really dead because there weren't medical doctors around to make official pronouncements. Now, this person is really gone. So you kind of had to wait a second. My goodness, we weren't even sure people were really gone or really dead in the 17 and 1800s. And so in this case, the sisters of Lazarus, they made the official pronouncement. They said, he's really gone. But see, there's a difference between being nearly dead and clearly dead. Nearly dead and clearly dead, they might, they might look a lot alike. But there's a big difference between nearly dead and clearly dead. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, what's the big difference? Just ask Lazarus. Just ask the Countess Emma. There's a big difference between nearly dead and clearly dead. And I just, I wonder how often we today become self-proclaimed experts of our own lives. We, we, we become masters of our own destinies, experts now with certifications. I mean, we've all got certifications. We, and, uh, and Google search guruism. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We got PhDs in, in like Facebook University. I seen it on Facebook. I, I watched 70 YouTube videos on this thing. I'm an expert now. I wonder how often we officially declare something that might look nearly dead as clearly dead. 
that we might take a situation, a circumstance, a sickness, a relationship, a dream, some, a pain, a hurt, uh, some type of hope, a heartache, a heart's desire that we so long for, we, we waited for, that in our own eyes, in your eyes, and in the lens through a troubled heart, we look at it and we just pronounce that situation. We pronounce that, that issue. We pronounce that relationship dead. Clearly dead. But friends, not everything that looks nearly dead is clearly dead. And you're going to hear the disappointment in the sisters' voices. You can hear it. If you had been there, my brother would not have died. And they're all thinking it. Both sisters even said it out loud. And think about it from their perspective. I mean, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Jesus is, Jesus is healing all kinds of people, delivering all kinds of people. Strangers, Romans, Gentiles, and all kinds of sinners and unknowns and untouchables. And then this is Lazarus. This is his BFF. This is his close friend. And the, and the time has run out. The clock ran out. Jesus is, is just sending some text messages with some gibberish about glory about the situation. And it's like, what are you doing, Jesus? You like missed it here. You missed healing Lazarus. My goodness, Jesus, you didn't even make it to the funeral. You, you, couldn't, even, you couldn't even speak at the guy's funeral. We've already buried him. We've already wrapped this guy up and put him in a tomb. He's supposed to be your closest friend. You weren't even there for him in the end. Now his body is tucked away. And timing is everything in this situation. And Jesus apparently has just missed all the opportunities to act. And now he wasn't even there to help his friends in their grief. He's been in the tomb for four days. And among the tears and the cries of the sisters and the crowd and all those around, the Bible says that Jesus was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. And he says, where have you laid them? And they said, come and see, Lord. And then Jesus wept. Much has been made about the shortest verse of all Scripture. Jesus wept. But friends, context is everything. Context is everything. Because what's really odd about these few verses is the phrase that some of our Bibles read as deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Some of your Bibles might say that differently. Some of your Bibles might say something like, and he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Some Bibles, and he says it twice. It says it twice. And a few verses down, he, it mentions it again. And again, Jesus 
groaning. One translation says groaning in himself. He is deeply moved and visibly distressed, one translation says. You see, that there's a reason. that The difficulty in trying to, to get a hold of how to describe this in, in, from the ancient Greek, because it's, kind of, it's a saying, it's, a, it's another idiom. Saved by the veil, a saying. That the phrase that they're having a hard time making sense of is because if it's literally translated, the phrase is to snort like a horse. <clears throat> that was my best impersonation. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, uh, to snort like a horse. So you can understand why Bible translators are going. Now listen, we can't put in scriptures and Jesus snorting like a horse Ask them, where have you laid him? So you see how they're trying to, they're trying to make sense of the moment because there's some deep, deep emotion happening here. John's trying to tell us something. Because to, to snort like a horse, everywhere else we, in other literature where we read this phrase being used, this, this is like a muffled snarl. It implies anger. It implies indignation. It, it's not invoking empathy. It, it's, it's invoking something seething under the surface. And see, that doesn't actually fit well with the moment, does it? Jesus seething under the surface doesn't, act, doesn't seem like no, that doesn't seem to fit the moment. But it only, it only doesn't seem to fit the moment if you're attaching the raw emotion of it all to the, to the weeping women. But if you attach the emotion and the seething and the snarling with the question that follows and then carry that all the way through the rest of the story, I think things might start making a little bit more sense. Because see, at, at this point, at this point, see, they're out on the road. They're out on the road. They just come into Bethany. They are not at the house yet, and they are not at the tomb. And what did he ask? Snorting like a horse. <sighs> what did he ask? Where is the body? Where is he? Where have you laid him? What have you done with my friend? And when they started walking towards the graveyard and not back to the house, he wept. And the Bible says, and again, once more in the same phrase, snorting like a horse, he was deeply moved and he came up to the tomb. Now listen, I need you to see this. 
in your mind's eye. I need you to feel this, okay? I don't know how else to preach this, but you got to use your imagination. If you got to close your eyes to do it, close your eyes to do it. Now, given the conversation that is about to happen, all right? Given the conversation that's about to happen, the fact that Jesus is somewhat angry, he's not mad at, at them, but there is some frustration and there is, there is this seething, muffled snarling going on. This, as some translators put it, this, he is groaning unto himself, all right? So he is indignant, snarling, groaning unto himself all the way up to the tomb. Now, I, I thought about how, to, how do I explain what's about to happen in the, in the state that the scripture is trying to paint, the picture that, that the scripture is trying to paint Jesus in. And this is the best thing I can come up with. Have you ever, have you ever been in like a, a store, let's say like a grocery store, all right, so I, I mean, I've had this happen where I'm in a grocery store and I've been sent, because obviously I'm not there on my own will. So I've been sent to the store to pick up a thing or a list of things. So I'm looking at a thing, but as I'm doing that, I hear a cart coming, and I, I can hear a, what it sounds like a mama to me giving somebody the business. You know what I'm saying? It's not my mama, and it's not my baby's mama, but it's somebody's, and they get in the business. You know what I'm saying? I mean, one of those, one of those don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, don't just focus on the Cheerios, Pretend like you are reading this box, like your life depends on it. Because that mama, whoever she is, whoever is with her, she is giving them an earful. You ever been, and because it's awkward, you're in a public space and all the way, and it's like the sound of it, like a tidal wave is getting closer to you. And you're like, just wait till it passes by. You just frozen in time, I'm frozen. This is the best looking box of Cheerios I have ever seen. And I'm just impressed with this design. Don't move a muscle. Because mama's coming by, and this is what I mean. She's coming by, and she's trying not to get loud, but everybody in the aisle can hear her. She's not trying to get, and whoever she's with, she's giving the right. I don't know what in the world they're thinking. I don't know what they're thinking. This is the last time they're going to do something like this to me. And then if they don't start, none, there won't be nothing. And then if they try to go over there and do that thing with that thing, and then, and then you think you can come over there and try to mess that up. And then every time I turn around, there's something else I got to clean up. And, then, and they're coming down the aisle. And all that seething like a, like a rage just comes by, gets louder, and then you hear it dissipate in the distance and you feel safe again. And you're like, I didn't even need Cheerios, but I'm gonna buy this box now because it looks healthy now for me. I'm convinced. All right, but you see what I'm saying? But before I do, I look over my shoulder to see 
Who is the poor soul with that mama getting an earful? And when I do, I look to see there ain't nobody with that mama. She is talking to herself. She is groaning unto herself. She is keeping, she's got that all inside. Now listen, I'm not just picking on mamas. Guys can do this too. Everybody can do this at some point where you just walk away saying stuff to yourself. You're not saying it real loud and you ain't trying to put it on broadcast, but my goodness, you're still saying it out loud and you're still mad and angry and seething and it's just a lot going on on the inside and you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, but my goodness, if they do that one more time. All right. Now you see what I'm saying? Now, I think this is what John's trying to paint. That when they turn towards the graveyard and not towards Lazarus' house, I think Jesus got a little upset and started going, did I not send my word? Did I not say this thing would not end in death? Did I not say this thing was going to end this way? What have I done since I've been in ministry to make them think that this, that I couldn't do this thing? And like, and don't they know I can read thoughts? I can hear what they're thinking. And they're over there doubting what I can do. And all the way to the tomb, he's just over there going, what in the world is happening here? These are my closest friends. These know me better than anybody. And then over the last four days, they have wasted the wait. They are supposed to be awaiting my arrival. And instead, they were waiting for death. Instead, they wasted the wait, wrapping them up in grave clothes when they should have been wrapping them up in life and my word did I not send my word and say I was going to heal it I was going to fix this I didn't say when I was going to do it I just said I was going to do it all the way Jesus is that's a little different isn't it snorting like a horse Four days, they wasted the wait. Instead of waiting in hope, faith, trusting, wrapped him up in, wrapped his friend up in grave clothes and put him in that dark, stinking place. They've been waiting for Lazarus to end instead of for Jesus to arrive. And so by the time he gets to the tomb, he's not overwhelmed with grief. He, he doesn't show up. He's not showing up as like one of the other mourners. He's showing up like a fighter. He's like, mm -mm, no, this ain't going to go down like this. They didn't believe, but we're not. Father, I'm going to say this out loud so they can all hear me. He wasn't displaying overwhelming grief. 
he was about to display his overwhelming greatness. That was, that was going to happen no matter what. And get to the tomb. Jesus is like, Lazarus! Because he needs to call out a name. Because if he just goes to a graveyard and says, come out! <laughs> Let's talk about a traffic jam. And out walks this stinky, smelly dead man. Because you know what? His sister was right. His sister was right. This situation literally stunk. Grave clothes are not pleasant. They smell. And they're binding. And even though Lazarus was alive, and even though Jesus had done something amazing on the inside, somebody had to take off the messy, decaying, smelly grave clothes on the outside, or he was never going to experience the fullness of what Jesus had just done for him. And so then Jesus looks back at the, the sisters in the crowd and said, look, now take off the grave clothes and let them go. And with every layer, they unwrapped. I'm sure the stench got worse, but he got freer. Amen. And see, right there, I think, is the key to the whole story. It's a picture in a thousand words. It's layer by layer, they removed those grave clothes. Lazarus was free on the inside, but he was bound on the outside. Because, see, not everybody who's called out of darkness and into the light comes out looking like Sunday morning church fresh. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes the newly rescued and the newly restored and the newly resurrected in Jesus are still wrapped up in their circumstance, might not act right, talk right, or, or meet certain standards, but you know what? I still think God's called us to hold our nose, and I, I'm pretty sure he certainly hasn't called us to wrap them up and put them in the tomb in the first place which is what they should have never done. That's why I think Jesus cried. Because he's, he was wanting to head towards the house. Whether they thought he was dead or not, the last thing he, they should have done was wrapped him up in grave clothes and put him in a tomb. Don't care how much the situation stunk or how bad it got, you wait for me. People, we got to understand God calls us to give each other some TLC. We all need it. To not waste the weight. Maybe God's calling you to be the ministering hands that somebody needs. Jesus bloodied his hands for you. I think the least we can do is get our hands a little dirty for him. Because listen, I can't. 
Can't wait. I can't wait to get to glory. Because I have brothers and sisters. And this is where the story ends. But man, I would love to have been at that dinner table that night with those two sisters and that brother. You did what? You got to believe that dinner table was tense. You did what? What did you do? Did we not get Jesus' word? I, I just would love to know how they worked that out. You know Lazarus held that over their head for a long time. You know he did. Especially because he was the brother. I'm a brother. I know I would have. Hey, sisters, I'm going to bed now. This is when I sleep. I'm not dead. I'm sleeping. Try not to put me in a tomb before morning. You know I would have done that. Don't care how old it got. And you know those sisters probably gave it right back. Hey, let's get him again. Let's wrap him head up. Let's wrap his head up in the stuff before he wakes up. Listen. Sometimes you have to get busy while you're waiting. Sometimes you have to get busy while you're waiting. Not busy trying to make something happen that only God can make happen. But get busy waiting for Jesus to arrive in only the way he can. You know, Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will walk and, and not faint. And I don't know, I think sometimes we hear that word faint, uh, hear that word wait, and we think literally, wait. I don't know if that's the best way to put that. A lot of translations change that word wait to love or hope or sir, which I think is better. But wait works too. It just depends on how you want to look at the word wait. Because there's two ways to wait. See, you can, hey, go over there and wait at the table or you can go over there and wait on the table. See, you can go over there and, and wait at something, or you can go over there and like wait on the Lord. So if you're gonna wait on the Lord, it's to, it's to put a towel over your arm and say, all right, I'm now here, I'm the waiter. What can I do for you today? I'm in this place, this is my assignment, this is where I'm at, so give me something to do while I wait. This is my station, I'm gonna wait on you, Lord. How can I get busy waiting? And the Bible says that those who wait on the Lord, that's how you get stronger. That's how you not grow weary. That's how you don't faint and give up. 
Because with Jesus, nearly over is not the same as clearly over. Don't waste the wait. Don't stop hoping. Don't stop believing. And when you fall down, get back up again. Get busy waiting. Not pausing. Well, I, I see this is where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. But I'm way over here. Do what you can right here where you're at. Wait on the Lord. Find strength while you do it. Jesus gets close to the pool, to the tomb, and he says, all right, boys, roll it back. And, and the sister is like, no, 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 you can't do that. Because she had already declared the situation over. She's like, if you open that door, Jesus is going to stink. Don't open that door. You'll regret it. You won't like what you find, Jesus, if you open that door. The situation has deteriorated past the point of no return. So don't open the door. It's gone too far. And how many times have we said in our own hearts or even by our own mouths over our own lives or over the lives of others that you know what? God can't heal what's broken or God can't save what's been lost or God can't recover what's been taken or God can't deliver what's been bound up. It just smells too bad. It's gone on too long. But friends, trust me, just because it stinks and deteriorated doesn't mean it's over. Nearly dead is not the same as clearly dead. Jesus looks at her and said, did I not tell you? If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. So I guess that's the question for us today. I guess that's the question. I don't know what you're waiting on Jesus for. I know he loves you, I know he sees you, I know he hears you. It's just like he loves and sees his friends in this story. Don't waste the wait. This can be the most powerful moment of your story. This can be the most powerful season for you because with Jesus, a waiting season should never be a wasted season. And for those of you awaiting on the Lord, you're praying, you're believing, you have faith that God can do it, but maybe he hasn't done it. The question is, do you want to see the answer or do you want to see his glory? Remember what he said. Did I not say you would see my glory? Just because things aren't unfolding as you planned doesn't think doesn't mean things aren't unfolding as he has planned. Delay isn't always a denial. 
You may want your answers. Or do you want to see his glory? So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me will live even though he would die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now notice what he says here. Never dying is his side of this arrangement, but our side is living by believing in Jesus. You see, there's two sides. Believes in me, he said. Whoever lives by believing in me, you believe Jesus? I'm not saying do you believe in him. Was he a historical person that died on the cross and, and did so forgiveness of his sin? rose three days later from the grave and is now at the right hand of the Father. That's like the first step. But do you trust his word and are you living now in that belief? Do you trust that he knows best for you in your life? And do you trust that his glory and not your answers is the best thing for you? Do you trust his sent word? See, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you may have life and have it to the full. And how else could we do so other than not getting all the answers we seek, but by receiving all the glory we possibly can reflecting Jesus in every way possible in our lives. His glory is the point. His glory is, is the real answer. Would you bow your heads all across this room? Maybe you're here today. You don't know where you stand with Jesus. Maybe you feel like you've been in that long, dark place. Wrapped up in bad choices. Just wrapped up in feeling lost. Wrapped up in doing your own thing or wrapped up in sin, wrapped up in just the weight of trying to figure things out on your own. But you, but you know you haven't been living and believing Jesus and his word. But today you want to make a commitment. Today, you want to make things right. Today, you want to ask for forgiveness. Today, you want to surrender your life and all those things that may be weighing you down to Jesus. I pray in the next few moments that you won't hesitate to respond, to let us pray with you, to let us make sure that 
you are born again in Christ Jesus. And that if he were to come back right now and enter into our time and space as we know he is coming back, or if you were to breathe your last breath, I want, I want to know that, and I want you to know that your life is firmly in Jesus Christ's hands. But if you can't say that with all certainty, let us pray. Just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to come and let us pray with you. But saints, would you pray with me even now? Lord, I pray for every heart right now in this place who may be searching, seeking within themselves. Do they have a real relationship with Jesus? And I pray, God, that you would help them find the courage today to respond in this moment in faith believing that God is about to change everything through their surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us again. We hope today's word was a blessing to you, maybe even challenged and inspired you. We'd love to connect with you, serve you in any way. Go to mynorthside.church, click the link for us to connect. We are praying for you. We believe that God has great things in store for you. We'll see you next time.